Hello then, and welcome to episode 24 of the podcast with John again. How do? This is becoming a habit, John. It is, isn't it? Or is it an addiction? Could be an addiction, yeah. <laughs> We've just been talking I, I, about I that. I don't think I'm addicted to podcasts yet. No, but you, you said you'd been listening to Russell Brand before, but just because we're starting this, we're talking about the Russell Brand. Um, is it under the skin, his, his podcast is called? I've no idea, it just pops up on yeah. YouTube. Well, it's on YouTube, it comes yeah. up and he's got under the skin. And he was talking about that social dilemma, which I've talked about. And I think he had a valid point. I think it is an addiction. It is an addiction, yeah. yeah. <sighs> but the one we're not talking about Russell Brand today, and we're not going to be talking about um, the social dilemma either. Fair um, but what we are going to talk about today is um, storytelling. Yeah, we know a bit about that. Well, we did a podcast, me and you. We, in fact, we set up a podcast channel, if you remember, The Art of Telling Story. We did. In fact, it's still there. I think it'd be up there somewhere online. And, and that was, of all the podcasts I've ever done, episodes, it's the one that had the most listens. Mm. Um, it's a good title. People like story. Yeah, I like story. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to explore today, and I'm, I'm going to try to keep us to a time today because we, we went on quite a long time last <laughs> yeah. time. So it's, it's twelve o'clock. Good luck. We want to be we want to be finished by one. So give yourself an hour. Fair dues. Um, because again, something I've noticed, and it's it is interesting, is this again is when you when you take a podcast above an hour, you get less 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 listens to when it's under an hour. Anything thirty minutes, people seem to find very popular. Right, but. The ones between 30 minutes and f- an hour are the ones that get the most listens. Yeah. I, I like I like longer ones, mate, because you just, I just sit there like radio. They're, they're, they're there when I'm working. Do you, so do you, do you actually listen to them on a podcast platform or do you listen to them on a, on YouTube? Depends what it is. Um, you, usually I'll like kind of watch them on YouTube. Well, I have two screens, so I just put one screen with um, a podcast on. But sometimes I'll listen to them on Spotify or whatever, really. Yeah. They become something. Now, I have to say, I don't listen to that many, um, only because I find I find some of them really poor. Um, I, I used to say, and I, in fact, this is dead in line what we're talking about today, storytelling, um, and specifically different versions of storytelling and how, uh, how stories told in not just the way we think it's told. Because I mean, you said earlier, again, before the podcast about... Um, we do our, all our best work before, don't we? We always do. We, we, we keep saying we should just turn the microphone on, but we didn't, again. We did one time. But the, the one thing about that I've realised is you can tell stories in different ways, visually, audially, with video and, and audio together. Um, yeah, you can take, tell it through music, throughout. There's lots of different ways to talk about it. Same with podcasting. There's lots of people doing podcasts now. The, the reality is, I think a lot of the podcasts just shouldn't be there. They, they're, they're almost like, they became what YouTube was. Think about YouTube. At one time, it wasn't such a popular platform. It's got popular in the last few years. Yeah. Um, and the stuff on there were pretty good, and the quality was good. Yeah. yeah. But then more people come in because they can make, it and the quality is is diluted. Well, yeah, people thought they could make loads of money, didn't they? And uh, well, that's be, it. be YouTubers, they chased and, it, become uh, influencers. Influencers. And I think it. the influencers now have drip, drifted on more to the likes of Instagram. Yeah. And so, so what I'm saying is just because you can do something or you, you've got the ability to do it doesn't always mean you should. Yeah, and there's certain podcasts that I've listened to and you're like, nah, you shouldn't be talking. You, no, you shouldn't they, be doing they, a podcast, they, should you? Because you, you have to... The one thing that this leads into today's conversation of storytelling is um, everybody is a storyteller. That's my belief. Oh, absolutely. Now, the difference is, is have you found your the medium for telling this story the best way that you can. And that's very, very individual. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, speaking 
and talking, that's what we generally think of a storyteller as being. And you joked earlier about, you know, a storyteller is somebody who walks around with like a, um, a kind of an outfit on, looking like something from Robin of Sherwood. Stick with bells on. With the bells on and all that's that. That's what you need, Gareth. Well, listen, you know, that that's that's the problem, or the, not the problem, the challenge. I'll do a photo shoot with you, like, the challenge. Around. Yeah, but you would, but you, you know two things. One is you're not getting no fucking bells on me, like, um, that ain't my style. Because th- there's something about that. It's that kind of um, idea that storytelling is comical. Yeah. The, the almost kind of is difficult. The challenge I face now is how do I explain what I do to other people, how I help people, because there's no box to put in. If I say I'm a storyteller, the assumption is, oh, it's it's telling. Once upon a time, there was Hansel and Gretel in a house. <laughs> I and told you'd mention Hansel and Gretel. Because it's a massively great story. <laughs> yeah. The thing with Hansel and Gretel is, it's a story that's been around for, for millennia. Yep. You know, decades. Mm. Not millennia, maybe, but certainly hundreds and hundreds of years. And they all have a... All these stories can be... If you really go into storytelling, which is... I don't, I don't want to get into that today. No. But you can go back and find out that... Different parts of the world have a, have a different version of Hansel and Gretel. Oh, of course they do. So the, the Hansel and Gretel one, because of the forest and the dark, it's very much the kind of a, um, a German um, and that kind of um, kind of foresty feel that you'd get in places like um, I'm trying to think of the name. It begins. What's it, what's the German place called? Um, Deep forests, anyway, in, in Germany. It'll come back to me. I'm not going to drift on too much about that. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, where the Black Forest get off came from and stuff. Bavaria. Is Bavaria? Uh, oh, that, anyway, that neck of the woods. Black Forest. But story is how, as human beings, we learn everything. We Story was made as education. Yeah, yeah. So I want to kind of just discuss today, you know, because you've, you've always had this massive interest in, and you've always said it since we first started talking years ago now, Mm. You always said that you were a documentary photographer. I am, and you you were about capturing the story. So yeah, these two things yeah. have been relevant: documentary, yeah, and story. Absolutely. So when did when did you first understand the power of of story as far as your photography is concerned? When did you go from being I just take photographs into I tell stories? Or was it? Did you always were you always that way? I think always really like. I've always kind of looked at a scene differently and gone, you know what? I don't just want that f- a photograph of that person. The person needs to be doing something or there needs to be another person in that shot to kind of tell that story. It's just more interesting. Um, I do remember one time <clears throat> um, is when someone was teaching me how to be a skateboard photographer and he was saying like, you put your lights there and there. And then he says, you don't just want a photograph of the skateboarder flying through the air. You need a shot of where he's come from and where he's going to end. I thought, oh, yeah, that, that's it, isn't it? It's a story. It's like, and, and a lot of people don't understand that. So that was one of the early times. But, yeah, I think I've always done it. Even my first wedding that I shot, well, 15 years ago, and I wasn't even supposed to be shooting this wedding. I was still trying to photograph things that actually told the story. There had to be context around it. So, yeah, I've always done that. I think my my first experience, I think, because I think growing up, you remember stories. Um, I, I can't remember ever ever being kind of tucked into bed by Mama with a, with a glass of milk and a, and a story being told. Can you not? No, I can't. I was thinking Didn't about it. Did you have Enid Blyton? I have read Enid Blyton. 
Um, one of my favourite books of all time, as far well, not saying of all time, you know, what is going to be the Magic Faraway Tree. It's a Magic Faraway Tree yeah. because what I what I loved in it was by reading that story, it's it allowed me to create in my own mind. Yeah. This fantasy world. So what the characters looked like were new to me. There was a description in there. Yeah. Because sometimes what happens is when you then see a film of the story. Yeah. Your perceptions and your ideas of what you made the characters look like and yeah. the story can feel very different. Yeah. So people often say, you know, the, oh, the book was better than the film. Yeah. Well, I've got to be honest with you, I've not read many books that were about a film. No. Because I've never been a massive, I've not been a fan of reading for many years. I have to say, I, I mean, I don't like reading. I find it very um, time consuming. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've read a book this, this week or this month, sorry. That's this month. I started in September um, by a friend of mine called um, Jeff Major. Oh yeah, I don't think you've met Jeff, but you've heard me talk about. I him. have met him. Have you met him? A long time ago. Okay, well, okay. So Jeff, Jeff wrote a book, and it's called Deadline, and and it's 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 a good read. I, I've mm. I've enjoyed it, but I I, st I still f at some level, um, I, f I found myself wanting to get to the end quicker. I I just okay, what's the punchline? Yeah, you know, because for me, did you cheat? Did you go to end? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah. You dated boy. No, I, I read most of it, and then I've gone back and read it. I mean, I have to, I have to you know. Did might, Butler you, do it? You know, we know, we know took Butler. Yeah. It was, it was. An, I'll tell you why. I, I twigged what the end was. Yeah. In the third chapter. There it is. Because for me, what I'm always looking at, and, it, and it's unfortunately, it's an occupational hazard being involved with human behaviour. Um, characters give away traits which which might happen. Yeah. And authors give away the traits before the characters do right. within, the, within the writing styles. So do you always get Scooby Doo right? All of it. There's not. There's nothing most. I, I get. I would say I would get eighty percent of every who did it, who done it right. Really. Within minutes of it starting. What about Columbo? I always got Columbo. Well, well, you knew we Columbo straight away because <laughs> whoever the main character was. <laughs> and it shows you. <laughs> well, there was something I watched a while ago called um, Ashes to Ashes. All great, right. great program. Um, and then they've got the other the other series after that, which was um, they were Ashes to Ashes and Life on Mars. There were yeah. two of them. No, Life I'm, on Mars I've, were first. I've never watched them, but yeah. But they were about a copper and Gene, yeah. Gene Hunt, and, and they had this. And the idea was somebody went back in time, in, got injured as a police officer, went back into this world, blah blah blah. Um, and I always knew in there who the 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 victim or the, the the perpetrator of the crime was because they did something. They always put a decent actor in the villain's place. Yeah. So as soon as the, the decent actor appeared in the program, right. you knew he did there with the one. Yeah. Always, every time. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, it's, this is not about me being, ooh, I'm, I'm super clever. It's about picking up little subtle things. So did you get like that. all the twisty films then? Did yeah. you get Sixth Sense? You know, the Sense? only film I didn't get was Sixth Sense. It's Sixth the only Sense. film I thought, fuck me, no. Yeah. Aye. That was an amazing film. But yeah. all these films are a version of story. Oh, yeah. And I think what what I'm becoming a lot clearer about myself is story has been put into this world potentially been fantasy. So so we assume that when we hear the word story, we're thinking of something that's 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 fiction. Right. Yeah. It's made up. Yeah. The problem is, at some level, we're we're living a story ourselves. Of course we are. Now, an element of that is made up, but it's also made up with elements of truth. Yeah. So I think the power of, of telling story is something we've forgotten what it is, how we get a story across, how powerful that story can be in your life. And I, I do think the advent of the YouTube and the podcasting and the internet, as in things like Instagram, have allowed us to tell stories in a different way, but we're telling shit stories. 
lying stories. Yes, right? but yeah. but again, you know, you can use lying or the word fiction, which is it? If in in a story, you know, when you watch a film by Quentin Tarantino, you talked the other day about your favorite Quentin Tarantino film, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. What a great story! Amazing. But the thing with that story is, it's like almost five stories in one story. I know. There's all that different narrative going I was on. I'm so confused the first time I watched it. But Tarantino's a genius. Yeah. But they, but they, Tarantino gets a lot of stick. A is overly violent and. And it's all that, but it's it's theatre. Yeah. I mean, have you seen his last latest film, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, what do you think? I'm not a lover. I'm not into that. Do you know what I thought his best film was after Pulp Fiction? The one that I enjoyed the most? Reservoir Dogs. No, it was Django. Django. I really liked Django. I liked the character, and I especially liked the Waltz character, the Doctor. The... Just a tiny bit too long. I found it interesting and I found it a subject that is very Tarantino because it was very much... Um, <laughs> it's very racist. Well, but again, you know, racist is what it is. It, you know, it, uh, absolutely. In what context is it racist and what context is it a film? Mm. Because, you know, there are more offensive films out there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But Tarantino is one of those people that... What I love about Tarantino is it's not just the way he tells stories. He talks about the methods of stories. He once... Um, he told you I made his films when he first started. He used to work in a video shop during the week. All right. Or a film shop. Yeah. Now, if I've picked this up wrong, this is my version of that story. Okay. <laughs> well, that's it. Because we're allowed to change stories a little bit. Yeah. As long as the end result stays the same. Yeah. So he used to go and work there on a the weekend and then he'd take his money and he'd hire camera equipment. And what he worked out was if he hired the camera equipment on Friday for the night. Yeah. You can get it for the weekend. You can get it for the weekend. I've been there. And then he'd, he'd basically go out and he'd spend his money on doing bits of film and putting them together. Yeah. And he says, if you want to make films, you just make films. Get out there with a little kind of cheap camera, yep. cheap video camera, and start doing your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that idea. But the one thing that I think that Quentin Tarantino and a lot of these these great people in film do is they understand the power of story. Martin Scorsese. Oh, yeah. I mean, his latest film, the... Um, Irishman. The Irishman. Do you like it? No. It's like three hours. I was like, I've wasted three and a half you know hours of my life. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the fact that because it had the people in it, it should have been good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think there are some the really... Pacino, it's like... Oh, well, I mean, you've, you've got, got Joe it. Pesci. And yeah. I have to say, I think Joe Pesci is one of the best actors. I rate Pesci. Up there with with I, I would rate Pesci above De Niro, yeah. Only because he has the ability to play very different characters, yeah. And he plays the little psychopath particularly well. Oh yeah, yeah. Where Robert De Niro's always had this part. I still think the the daddy of of actors is is always going to be to some degree Al Pacino. Yes, but a, a very close second has yeah. got to be Denzel Washington, right? But he plays, again, he's always got a similar character. Oh, yeah. So th these people, I think, in order to, to be a good actor, you've got to be a good storyteller. Yeah. So when you listen to these guys talking in an interview, they're massively engaging. Oh, yeah. So being a good storyteller is recognising that story is powerful if it's utilised properly. Yeah, yeah. And story can be dangerous if it's told wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, hence why we have the problem now with, with fake news. The fake news is a story. Yeah. And again, you know, we make the assumption stories are fairy tale. No, a story is the recollection of an event, fictional or non-fictional, for me. Right. So if you are telling the story of what happened, um, like the George Floyd thing in America, mm. you know, somebody's relaying that story. It's a, it's a it's a factual account of something, but it's still an account. It's still a story. Yeah. So that ties in with your concept of what you do is you're a storyteller and you're you, you're a documentary a documentary photographer and a storyteller. Yeah. 
Because in some cases, you're using your pictures to tell a story, yeah. which may or may not be true. Yeah. It tells mm. a story. Because I've seen pictures of you with people and tuk-tuks going to weddings. Yeah. So in effect, that's almost like a made-up story. Yeah. And then the other way, you're documenting what actually happened. Yeah. So documentary, but, documentary and story, I did the same thing, I suppose. Yeah, but I could, I can, um, I can put my own little kind of twist on it. I can make something look kind of dark if it isn't dark. You know, it's like it's how I tell the story of that documentary event. So I can change the actual truth. I don't, but it's, it's. I could make it anything. But, that, but that, that is the beauty of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. So that's why when we go back all these, you know, mm. years and years till when men used to live in caves, you know, they used to spend their evenings telling story. Yeah. A lot of the stories we hear, you know, you hear stories that come from places like um, America when they were the Native Indians. They would sit down and even they would tell story. Mm. There was always this thing about the campfire and story which was important, oh, where yeah. people would sit around a campfire telling a tale. Yeah. And again, I think in this modern world, we've we've lost some of the need, not just for the story, which is important, but also the need to say it and tell it in the right place. Yeah. So some stories sit well in different environments. Yeah, absolutely. So I have certain stories I can tell, which have got to be told outside. Yeah. You know, because they don't sit well in, in a kind of a, a room or a classroom situation. No. Um, so, and some stories choose you and you don't choose them. True. Like books, that people often say that. Yeah. So I think for me... I love the idea of story because I think it it's something that we inherently know we need. Yeah. And as we've been talking about again before this, when we were having a bit of a kind of a, a chit-chat about kind of behaviour and stuff, people tell themselves a story on a daily basis that makes up their reality of life. Yeah, absolutely. Some yeah. of which will be true, but a lot of which will be fantasy. Yeah. You yeah. know, the, the story people tell themselves that we're not good enough or I don't have enough or I need more. Yeah, yeah. Alongside the other story, which is I'm wonderful, I'm fantastic and I'm the bee's knees. Yeah, and they're telling them their story to be popular with us, others, aren't Potentially. they? Potentially. So, but, some, it, but again, part of this is where this all gets a bit deeper is the fact you think that is the story you tell yourself. Yeah. So, So I think the power of story now is recognizing that story is everything everything's story everything you look at from the advertisement you see on tv telling you about two for one offers at morrison's to 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 the the opera that's being played at the grand theater when it eventually opens up again to the kind of thing that comes up on your phone every three minutes on on facebook talking about somebody offering some service or to when you walk past a, a billboard outside a, a nightclub that's telling you who's on next week the band all this is story. Everything is story. Mm. And everything can be fitted into story. You think about the, we sat in this room now and everything in this room has got a story attached to it. I know, I've just been looking around, actually. It'd be very visual. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> part of being a storyteller at some level is is, is how you can um, articulate what you're visually seeing. Yeah. Or what you want people to visually see. But I know the story of everything as well, because I was like, oh, tell me about the story of jeans, but I know them. Story of microphones, I know that. Story of lights, I know that. So, Come on, you must be something you don't know the story of. Give me anything. I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling, like, because um, I, I know why you bought most of the stuff. Uh, so, why did you buy them shoes, Gareth? Do you know what? These were the most expensive shoes I ever bought at this time. Um, I never used to pay a lot of money for shoes, so I'll tell you the story behind that. There you go. When I left school, or well, not when I left school, when I was at school, I got a part-time job on Jewelry Market. Mm. 
And one of my jobs on that market was working for a company or a businessman called Ivor Burns. Ivor Burns. Now, I think Ivor Burns may still be alive. I know certainly... Um, Is he a Simpsons character? No, no. He's, um, he could be a Simpsons character. And Ivor Burns, I'll give you the, 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 the... I went for a job offering, do you want to work in a market stall? I would have been about 14. Right. And I went to, to, a, to a shop in Jewsby Arcade, Ivor Burns Shoes. And I talked to this guy and he gave me the job. And it, the job was working on Jewsby Market setting the stall up on a Saturday and taking it down on a Saturday and standing on the stall all day on Saturday. And then on a Wednesday, setting up the stall or taking the stall down in an afternoon. Mm. So involved, it was 13 hours a week. Right. I always remember it, 13 oh, okay. hours a week. Um, and um, I didn't get a lot of money. No. But I got enough. And the thing is, when I was on the market stall, um, this was the time that I was starting to buy my own clothes. We 13, 14. It was that time my mum and dad had bought me stuff and school shoes and stuff and they got me their pair of trainers. But I worked on a shoe stall. So I got the ability to be able to buy shoes from from the, from the stall. Now, the thing about Ivor Burns, I'm just going to have a drink of water. Fair do. <coughs> I'll just wait and uh, find out about Ivor Burns because I'm excited. Well, it, it, it's a story with a meaning to it. So when I was there, I used to, and they always used to sell really good quality shoes. I always leather line, leather uppers. But I was paying like 20, 30 pounds for shoes, which should have been 100 pounds because I got them cost price and below. And, and I'd always get shoes that they didn't really want or they were the end of a line. Yeah. So I never used to pay more than 30 quid for shoes. The story I told myself was is shoes are 30 quid a pair. Right. And I could find them in next for 30 quid a pair. Yeah. So one day I'm shopping with someone, she sees these, they're 100 pounds. And I thought, chuff, are you kidding me? There's three pair of shoes there. Absolutely. Yeah, but they're nice. Um, okay, they're nice. And they were leather and they were leather soles. They had leather soles as well. Right. You'll notice something else. Another little a story within the story here. Mm-hmm. So I bought these shoes because she liked them. And I thought, okay, I'll treat myself. She says, you've got to have a nice pair of shoes. And okay, so I started to retell the story in my mind and change that story. Thinking, well, maybe nicer shoes will be more comfortable. And they are very comfortable. Right. So I bought them. But they had leather soles. Mm. Now, I bought these in, in the wintertime. They're slippy as chuff. Yeah. So I took these 100-pound shoes with leather soles to a stall on Leeds Market and said, can you put me some rubber soles on them? That's right. why I've got rubber soles on now. Bit of a Beatles thing. And then from that, I ended up from these shoes, and now I'm more open to paying a bit more money for shoes because they're more comfortable. I still have the odd pair of um, £30 ne- next ones if I like them. Um, but I ended up buying another pair of shoes by a bloke called Jeffrey West. Right. And they're a, a place in Leeds, and they were £400. Whoa. So I've got a £400 pair of shoes upstairs. Really? Yeah, yeah. I never wear them. No. But as uncomfortable as out. eBay. I buy. I wear them for special occasions. The bright red, the red, the, really? the blood red shoes. Yeah. You bought red shoes at 400 quid? Yeah. Blimey. They always get noticed. I go to, a, and, and actually, shoes are a bit like anything. If you know, you know. So people come to me and say, are they Jeffrey West? How do you know? Because well, you just know. They're, they're a really clever, nice pair of shoes. I've got some red Adidas on here. Red's my colour, John. You know that. Yeah. The only reason I've still got them is because the the special ones and, yeah. So you keep them. So that's the story behind the shoes. So the story behind the shoes, but the biggest story behind the shoes oh. for me, if, if you want to look at where storytelling can take it, is one is I had a very limiting story about this concept of shoes are only £30. So yeah. it limited what I looked at. It li- and if you had limited the quality I used to wear. Right. Because I used to wear shoes at 30 quid. And when you spare a bit more for oh. shoes, you do get a bit more for your money it, in some cases. Oh. And I only have... I only have four pairs of shoes. I've right. got these ones, the fancy red ones, and two pair of black ones. Yeah. Because I don't wear a lot. I like to wear my shoes and the similar kind of shoes all the time. But even then, when you think back, 
Back in the the 80s, there used to be something out there called Oxford tie shoes, which were a black shoe with like a black bit on the front, like a little black section. Um, and they became, everybody wore black shoes, but now black shoes are out of fashion. Right. Because somebody in the world of fashion started to tell a different story. Mm-hmm. And enough people believed the story that it became reality. Uh, so this is the power of story. You can start off by telling uh, a mistruth or a, oh, a, or, yeah. a, or a fiction story. Yeah. And if enough people listen to it and believe it, it becomes factual. Fair dues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's the story behind the shoes. See? Go tell on, tell me a little bit more about this. Because we talked as well earlier, you were talking about, you've often had this, you, about simplicity. Um, have you ever read a book called... Um, Walden's Pond. Never heard of it. Right. It's, it's a book about simplicity. Right. Um, I've I've only briefly looked into it because I, again I found it difficult to read. I got the gist of it. Right. Um, but he had, he had a, a line in that which was simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah. So I think one of the other things me and you shared, despite as, as well as our um, love for storytelling, is the, the love of simplicity. Yeah. And I think story needs to be simple. Everything needs to be simple. Life needs to be simple. We don't need complicated. I agree. I mean, yeah. tell us a bit more about where you're going with your photography because you have a new device now, don't you? Um, another yeah. way of telling story, which is what? So what have you bought yourself? I bought this in a little camera, just so. And the main main reason is because, like, I've got two kids, and I used to see it as a chore to take pictures of them, because if I'm not working, which you know, I don't want to be getting a camera out and taking pictures, like kind of carrying bags of lenses and stuff and um, I'm never happy <laughs> so um, e- even if I use my big camera with one lens I just I found, found find it a chore so I always wanted a little camera that I could just take anywhere with me just to put in my pocket and um, it just has to be one that I can control because I don't like a camera controlling me so I found this little street photography camera it's great and uh Go on, big up big up the name and the model. Uh, no one needs to know. That. They do need to know it's part of the story. Uh, if anybody it? wants a good camera and you want to get into a little bit of photography, this is not a bad one. What is it? You say what? It's um Polaroid. He's been a dick now. <laughs> it's a Rico. It's a Rico GR Mark II. That's the one. Yeah. And, and that's it. Yeah, but it's 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 great. It's like I can just carry it around and it's always there. I've always got a spare battery with me and like there's a there's a great quote like um what's it called the best camera is the one that you have with you and i can never find my phone make my camera on my phone because I, I don't know how to use the blooming thing and uh it's always got limitations but this thing it's like i can control it so i'm happy but it's it's, this. it's just like it's opened the world up to me and i can mm. just mess around over there i, I went to tesco in Brighouse, and uh i just saw this bloke who were just sat on his like scooter is like is like forty odd year old. He had this like quadrophenia scooter. Can I take a picture of you? He's like, yeah. And I got my little camera out, and it didn't look for long. It was just like, oh, here's a little snap. And uh, I says, yeah, I'm having a midlife midlife crisis too, because you know I had a skateboard with me. So, but it, it's just something there, and people people respect it a little bit more than a big camera. It doesn't intimidate them. Like I can just rock up and just ask someone to take, if I can take the picture, and they, they go, "Oh yeah." Whereas if I like get a camera out with a massive lens, like whoa, 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 steady on. So yeah, it's just just so I can just play around. 
I find I find that interesting what you're saying there because that's something I don't I'm not sure you would have done twelve or eighteen months ago. Is asking people to take photographs. Um and I think you're evolving more as a storyteller because you have to have the right tools for it, is is I suppose what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the ones that mm. what I find, especially it's it's like you, you know, when I think about how the the stuff I do and I think more about human behaviour and personal development and a little bit of the psychology behind it, you know, because there's a couple of things you said there about, you know, I've got a camera that I can be in control of and I saw John willing to be in control. Let's explore that. <laughs> and you end up just becoming like a knob. Um and it's the same with photographers. If if all of a sudden there's somebody there racking up with a massive camera, um it, it is I think it is off putting because people oh, behave differently. Yeah. But what it does is having a smaller camera disarms people it does it really does <clears throat> so i do the same thing if, if i hear something in your voice there that said, tells me that might be something that about you've been in control i can then use that information to then have a conversation which you would understand without sounding um uh, what's it sounding like i was pushing or that made it sound difficult and i think that's again story is is a really people it's a hard thing is story oh yeah because some stories are not pleasant and some stories hurt mm. some stories make us laugh some make us cry and so when you're taking a photograph, it's exactly the same. Mm. So I think allowing people to understand your story in a way that they can comfortably interact with it or be part of the story and comfortably interact with it, like the small camera. Yeah. So mm. I, I tend to, if I'm with people and they have someone else, you know, do you want any, do you want any help with that? Actually, I can give me thoughts if you like. Yeah. Because it's different. Mm. It's not like I say I'm going to judge you. I'm just going to give you my thoughts and opinions, which yeah. is what they are. You can yeah. take them as they wish. Mm. So I think... The, the more we understand the importance of story, the more we can look at the ways we tell story and also how we get involved in story. So if you think about a story um, like a film, it's funny how people have a different interpretation of a film Yeah. based mm-hmm. on what it good, bad, or indifferent. I, yeah. I, do you remember that? What would he call them? Barry Norman. Barry Norman, yeah. And he'd come in and, it, so, and then it was Jonathan Ross did it, wasn't Jonathan it? Jonathan Ross, yeah. Wassy. Um, but they had this opinion of it's a good film based on their opinion of that film. Yeah. Sue's pretty good at... She pulled a film out the other night called Captain Fantasy or Captain Marvelous or something. Which is, it was a film about an American guy who had six kids and they lived in the wilderness. Right. Right. Don't know that one. His wife died. No, it's on Netflix. And right. To be honest with you, everything about this title and everything she was selling it to me as, I didn't want to watch it. No. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. What's this shite? <laughs> yeah. I think I've been okay, to so, be honest. But, but then an element of me thought, based on this, right, so we're going back into it, I thought, hang on a minute here. She, she's normally pretty good at finding a film. I normally enjoy it, so right. I trust her. Yeah. See, I'm thinking, well, like, I want to watch something with car chasing and gunfights. Yeah. And you brought some hippie in a fucking wilderness <laughs> with some brats. I don't know what it was going to be. I didn't mind. A really, really good story. A very powerful story. Right. Interesting one. Was there any car chases and guns? There wasn't. There was a gun. Right. Um. Well, more technically, there was a, a bow and arrow. That was it. A gun's a not a bow, a bow and, and arrow's not a gun. No, but no, but it fires a projectile rather quick, and if it hits you, you're dead. So it, it's in that same, you know, it's a weapon. You know, let's be fair. You know, car's a weapon. You know, your voice is a weapon, John. Your tongue is a weapon. The the, the <laughs> my tongue is the tongue is what is it? The, the pen is mightier than the sword. Yeah, I'd much rather be stabbed with a pen, I have to say, than a sword. But you know, that's just my opinion. Talking of stabbing, do you remember that film? Have you seen the film Rock and Roller? Yeah. There's a scene in that where he jabs that guy inside the neck with a pencil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, and Casino. Casino. Joe Pesci that's as well. A pen, not a, that's a, pe- a pen, not a pencil. Oh, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, there is. I remember that bit. Yeah. That's a powerful bit. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, part of what that story tells, again, in probably a quite gratuitously violent way, um, is the idea that, you know, don't mess with a little man. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's Bob De Niro trying to be nice and Penny and Blood gets a bit arsy, and next thing you know, 
you know, yeah. there's that little thing. Can you hear that? There's that little girl crying. Where's yeah. the big man that told my mate to go fucking? <laughs> yeah, that's you know, it. a lovely bit. But again, we remember them things in films. So mm. for me, what I'm looking at in films always is what's the story, and then how do I remember that story? Because if I didn't remember the story, the story wasn't good enough. Yeah. And I don't put that down to the listener. That's down to the storyteller. Right. And I think that's a, a good um, understanding. If anybody listening to this is, if you say something to somebody and they didn't get what you said, it ain't their fault. It was your fault for not explaining it properly. Yeah, I agree. So what you say is has only got the um, meaning that, that somebody else attaches to it, not yeah. what you think you said. It's what we're actually heard, not what was said. Yeah. And that's why I think some of the best storytellers have got a way of really getting everybody to, to, to feel into something because you tend to remember things that are an emotion attached to them. And the bit with Casino with the pen was uncomfortable to watch. It was just, oh. Oh, yeah. A bit like there's a couple of other scenes. There's the scene in, um, I think the one in Reservoir Dogs with the razor the blade. Yeah, that's yeah. an uncomfortable scene. I can never watch that properly. Mr. Blonde. I have to turn away a little bit. Mr. <laughs> yeah. Blonde. But again, Mr. Blonde's another interesting character. He is. And what Tarantino did in that, which I think was amazing, is he took this violent act and the soundtrack to it was a very simple song mm-hmm. stuck, in a, stuck in the middle of you. Yeah, yeah. And, and interesting. But again, if you look at that film, if you think of one song in it that everybody remembers about Reservoir Dogs, it's the start. Yeah, I was going to say it's because yeah, I thought you were going to say stuck in the middle of you. No, you know, that's a little green that. bag, isn't it? A little green bag. Mm. And that yeah. in its in its all self is is the power that these people know how to harness. Well, you all, we all harness that power to tell stories yeah. and, if, yeah. if we tell them properly. And the fact that it's just pretty much in one room. The whole thing with a few clips of elsewhere. Well, it was it was built. It was it was one of those films that it, it started off in a restaurant before a heist and finished it when the heist had gone wrong. Yeah. So in real time, it, in the time there was no time in between. It was no, it no. was played in time. He's really good at that. Yeah. So I think we can all look at these people and think they're wonderful, great stories. But we're actually good storytellers, mm-hmm. and some of the best storytellers I've ever met were not filmmakers, and and they weren't people who were on stage like you know. Billy Connolly's a great storyteller. He is. But every pub that I went into when I was a teenager oh, yeah. had a storyteller in it. Oh, my dad. Yeah. You know, that's what they were oh, like. They oh, used yeah. to tell stories. Yeah, and yeah. and we, we have races of people we attach different stories. Well, like the Irish are good at telling stories. Yeah. And the Scottish, they have a way of doing it. The Welsh, you know, they all have their own, they all have their own national stories. Yeah. But I think when you start to realise that stories everything, you then can, you've always got to question the truth in a story, if the story, you think that doesn't really serve me to have that story told that way. So what I'm saying is you can take something like any story you like, Hansel and Gretel, we'll go back to it. We all know the story <laughs> of Hansel and Gretel. They get a witch in the fri- fridge and all that kind of witch in the house and all the, the gingerbread and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, you can take that story and change it. Yeah. So what would it be like if all of a sudden, you know, they're racked up there and this, this witch is not a witch anymore. You know, she's actually a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And, she's, and she's actually making coke and that in there. And then Ansel and Gretel decide to quite like the witch and they become kind of peddlers for her. Mm-hmm. And in the end, Ansel thinks, do you know what, I quite fancy a bit of this 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 action. So they off the witch so they can take over the drug cartel, run out of the forest. Different, isn't it? It I've is ne- different. I've never even seen it. That's a good film, that. It could be a good film. But yeah. you see how you can take a story and you can play with it. So what I think it's nice to do is to take a story and something I, I like to do, and I've done this with groups of people, and, and in something I did called The Four Seasons, we'd take a story and we'd say, right, what's your spin on it? Yeah. T- tell it differently. Mm. When you're challenged to. Yeah. Because in the world of fantasy and story, you can actually make anything you want up. Yeah. So if you have a story you're telling yourself constantly in your own life, you can change that as well. 
Mm-hmm. And this is this is where the storytelling ties in with the personal development. Yeah. Because I suppose what I would say, if we look at the characters in films we revere, like, you know, we're, we're a similar age, so we always remember Rocky. Rocky. So what is it about Rocky that we particularly like? He always kept coming back, didn't he? So what is it about that? It's within us all, we want to be the one that keeps coming back. Yeah. We, we, we highlight, we're highlighted in ourselves maybe some of the things we're trying to work on by mm. the characters. We want to be Rocky. Because, mm. you know, I mean, I don't know if you've been punched in the face, it stings. Yeah. You know... But but the interesting thing about Rocky was, in some films you've got good good guy bad guy. Hmm. In Rocky one, and in fairness Rocky two, there was no good guy bad guy. Apollo Creed was not a bad guy. No, it wasn't. It was no. the only character in that. Well, if we're not going to talk about anything after Rocky four, no, because that just got shite. It did. when that Tommy whatever you call it, Tommy Morrison came into it. Yeah, he's dead now. Him. I have no idea. Oh, he's dead. I think. Yeah, got into drugs and stuff. Mm. He would have. Then, but the only character that ever came up. In the first three Rockies, which I think are the best, the first three. Clubber Lang. No one liked Clubber Lang. No. He was set up from minute one to be the protagonist. He's a horrible man, nasty, nasty. You could never feel that way about Apollo Creed. Ain't getting no one on no plane. <laughs> yeah, but that's how his character was different. Yeah. You saw him as, as BA in um, in the A team. I know. You know, fool. Ain't getting no play, fool. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. But actually, the reality was, you know, he's, he's quite a versatile actor. He's a what the kind of? He's a preacher. Is he? He walks around and he said he's got a big gold crucifix on and oh. telling people how to, <laughs> That's a shock, to read the Bible. It? No, but yeah. it, what is interesting, I suppose, if, if you want my take on that story, is that, you know, he's got after something to understand a bit bigger in life. He's, he's, he's found his way into, into that, which good luck to him. Mm-hmm. But Apollo Creed was never seen as a protagonist. No, no, no. What he was seen is he, he was required to give Rocky the power he had to keep getting back up. Yeah. So I think again, it's it's interesting that when we when we look at characters we want to be in films, it's it's nice to explore who are you. So back to Ansel and Gretel, one of the things that I that I would do when working with people in this four seasons is say, okay, which character or which of your which of your personality is the the wicked stepmother, who is the father? Because if you think about the story, the wicked stepmother and the father in the house. Mm. And the wicked stepmother's got so much power over the father, he convinces him to get rid of the kids. It's my ex-wife. Well, it may be, you know, everybody's ex-wife's different, but um, the point I'm making is there seems to be this thing that goes a lot in story, especially the fantasy fairy tale story. There's always a wicked stepmother. Yeah. There's never a wicked stepfather. No. It's a wicked stepmother. Why is that interesting? Mm. And again, you know, there's, there's a conversation to be had around that. So what I what I love about this is to take a story and then go into it further. So yes, okay, Hansel and Gretel, it's a lovely little story. No, look at it a little bit deeper. You know, it's about that going out into a forest and finding your way back in. I know every story follows the same process, the hero's journey, the hero's yeah. journey. Yeah, yeah. And the hero's journey always starts off, there's always something he has to go for, there's always some, um, the holy grail they're after, yeah. the grail, but after something. Yeah. And every single um, person has to go through a dark forest. There's a lot of dark forest and everything. There is. And, you know, and there's always some protagonist that if you get over and do that thing, there's always a task you have to complete to get the Holy Grail. Yep. And then they always come back home to triumphant um, uh, arrivals. Yeah. And every single story follows that process of the hero's journey. Mm. And it's something that if we understand the hero's journey and you bring it into your, your kind of your own life and your personal development, you think, well, okay, right now, where am I? Because if yeah. you feel like, hang on, everything's a bit shit at the moment. Well, hang on a minute. You might just be in a bit of a dark forest. Yeah. What was the Holy Grail? And you know what you what nemesis you're gonna to have to overcome? The knights that say knee. But I mean, they they just took the piss out of everything. 
I mean, there's an interesting act. There's a really interesting piece actually about um, there's John Cleese and around the world who went around the world. Michael Palin. Michael Palin. They were on a program, and I think it was done by Mike. Who were the Who were the the interviewer? Michael Parkinson. Michael Parkinson, and they had on some somebody high up in the in the church. Right. Well, we're happy with life of Brian. Oh no 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 one was. And and he was basically saying, you know, you t- you took the scene, you know, the greatest the greatest thing ever spoken, you know, the the sermon on the mount, you know, and you you made it comical. And they said we didn't do that. He said you missed the whole point here. We didn't take the Mickey out of that. What we took the Mickey out, we took him out of the bloke at the back that wasn't listening properly. Yeah. We were not having a go at at Christ, if you like, or what he said. We actually were saying there's an idiot at the back who can't hear properly, yeah. and, and so. People jump on it because they attach themselves to story oh, and get yeah. upset about it. Well, actually, in some ways, it got vilified. You couldn't, you couldn't watch it anywhere. People said it was terrible. But why? It was just a story. Yeah. And is it any different to the story that of Ansel and Gretel or the, the Snow White and the, the Seven Dwarfs? Mm. You know, which bit of that we're going to get upset with now that we can't, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, you can't say anymore because the dwarfs, only cats use that word. Little people. So it's Snow White and the Seven and the Seven Little People. Yep. So stories had a time and have a place, and sometimes you just have to update them stories to come forward. Yeah. Like what the card? I tell you what happened a while ago. I was Annie, the Annie again. You know Annie, the little ginger-haired girl. Oh yeah. She ended up becoming a black girl. All right. I don't, I don't know what what why that was, and and it talks about oh it's all about um, um, things being diverse and all this kind of stuff. I thought it wasn't as good as the first one. Yeah, and I, I'm not so sure it mattered what colour the character was, what they'll say. Well, if it wouldn't matter, why can't you just be another pale lass with ginger hair? Because that, that's what we saw Annie has been. Is that why Jay Z did that hard not life? Because that was all I knew, wasn't it? I'm not sure that was something to do with it. Right. The point I'm making is, we have to be, always be open to questioning story, right? But not questioning the way is it's wrong or it's <clears> right. It's a story, <clears> but which bit of this is factual? What can we get from it, and what do we take from it? It's like your photographs. You know, when you tell a story in a photograph, people will see different things based on their connection with that photograph. Oh, yeah. You sh- you show me a picture of... Like, if you showed me the picture of a couple at a wedding going in the tuk-tuks. Yeah. And you show that to me, I think that's quite different. Mm. That's a bit different. <clears throat> you show it to somebody who was at the wedding, they'll say, oh, I remember that day. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. She came with tuk-tuk, it was really funny. Yeah. And you show it to bride or groom, it has a different feeling to them. Oh, yeah. So story has a different meaning where you're looking at it from. Oh, yeah, so if you want to change a story, you've got to look at it from a different angle. That's why I think the experiment of take Ansel and Gretel yeah. and <clears> change it. Yeah, into drug dealers. Like it. Into drug dealers. Yeah. Ansel and Gretel. Aye. County lines. Like it, it's good. When you, um, when you started to get more into this storytelling through photographs, what would you say... If you had to do this, I mean, this is a big ask, and you know, big thing for you to do. It's here. Monday, Gareth. Which of your pictures do you oh, think dear. tells the strongest story? Oh my god! And what story does it tell? Oh. It's like countdown. Ding, 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 ding. Don't need no countdown. Tell you, blimey! What's? Hang that scuba do. What do you reckon? See what you've well, done there, you've bounced it back onto me. I know, but I'm thinking. Right, I, I you, like... You've obviously got something in no, mind. No, the I'm reason thinking. I say that is, sometimes we all do a piece of work within our kind of um, setup, whatever we do, which I think is a powerful piece of work. 
So if I look at something I have done a bit of in the past, which is public speaking, I, I was once asked to do a five-minute presentation on something. And I did it on um, making a perfect curry. All right. How to make a good curry. Good. You do make a good curry. I, I make a great curry. Uh, well, that's the whole point. So I had this thing, and the, the premise of the line was, um, you've heard the little rhyme, uh, sugar and spice and all things nice. Yeah. And um, this was, the, if you want to learn how to make a good curry, you know, you've got to remember that this, that little poem. So what it says is, you know, um, what does it say? What a little boy's made of. Sugar yeah. and spice and all things, all whatever it is. And I say, yeah. if you want to remember what a curry's made, you've got to remember this thing. It's, 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 um, it's what they call it. It's, what's a good curry made of is onions and spice and plain boiled rice. And, bail and plain boiled rice. So what's a good curry made of? Onions and spice and plain boiled rice. And that's chicken. what's a good curry is made of. And chicken. No matter what you put in it, that's how you make the base of a great curry sauce. Right. And then I went into a five minute talk about how you've got to cook your onions mm. down, use the right spices and make sure you serve it with boiled rice. I always serve with boiled rice. But what I'm saying is I, I always thought that was a really clever piece of work by me when I did it because I had to do it on, on, on the hoof. It was a story I had to make up literally. Somebody gave me three and I had to do it straight away. Right. So in effect, <laughs> what you're doing now, which is crawfishing and, and fucking about, I might actually pull that off in five minutes. Right. So you've now got to tell me about your, your picture. So what, what I'm going through me? millions of photos in my bumming head here while you're talking right. about you have a, you spices. Have, okay. Uh, which, which genre? The man I was, if you, had to, if, you had to, if you had one photograph, the only could keep one photograph you've ever taken, what would it be? Picture of my kids. Which one? I ain't got a clue. Now you see, you see how hard it is. It's hard because what we can sometimes do is we have lots of these, but you'll have one that you particularly like. I like the picture you've got. It's a wedding where there's three, there's four people, three, three I know, women. I know you like that one, but and they're all the little mustache. I like that one. I, I like that I one. Know you but do. I haven't seen I like millions. It. I haven't seen millions of your photographs. I have. The thing with being a storyteller, whether you're visual, whether you're audio, or whatever. You need to be in a position where if somebody says to you, tell me a story, what's the story you kick out? It's like the comedian with the best joke. Yeah. Because I think what it does is you have to to to, to push yourself with your storytelling. You have to put yourself into awkward situations, which is why I like doing that piece of work I did because I was in front of about six people. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare it and it came out and it, and it allowed me to take something and very quickly assign a bit of a, a, rhyme, a rhyme to it. Yeah. But I mean, I can look at some of the the, um, the stories I've written. I once um, I did a bit of poetry a while ago, and I, I was really pleased with that. I, I want to always remember and keep story at the front of everything, mm. because like it now says on my website somewhere, the quality of our lives is determined by the, the stories we tell ourselves and the conversations we have. And a story can create a conversation, and a story doesn't have to be anything other than three or four words. No. <laughs> you're all right, you're dying. You know, I'm struggling today. Yeah. So one one that's jumping out that's a recent one is a wedding that I photographed over COVID. And it's I only like it because I had like five minutes with bride and groom and the brought the flower girls and bridesmaids with them, which I wasn't expecting, so my, I was like, oh my word, I've got to deal with these people. I've got five minutes to get some good shots of the bride and groom that they can keep forever. And th there's nowhere to go. So we went round the corner from the restaurant and I saw this graffiti. And then I heard some skateboarders. I thought, oh yeah, skateboarding, my background. 
And then I spoke to one of the skateboarders and I said, right, can you do a trick? So I got him to do a trick and I photographed the bride and groom and with like kind of having a moment, but with the flower girls kind of holding her veil and this skateboarder going past doing a kickflip. I kind of like that one because it's kind of, it's everything I am. It's a storyteller, it's a skateboarder, it's a photographer, it's like thinking on the hoof, it's just, yeah, and, and it's just having a laugh. So that that's one that's kind of jumps out. I don't think it's the best like picture that I've ever taken, but you know, it's but again, it's the story is the story, and, and it's all right. Yeah. Every one of my pictures has got a story, and I think that's the thing that yeah. that you stand out for me from other photographers. If you've just recorded a picture of somebody as as nice as that picture might look, and as and as technically good as it might be, unless it tells a story, yeah. So I think you know. It, We can. I don't want to get into today to, to to the power of you know story for changing your life and all that. This no, is this is a way of talking about. You can see that's a deep thing. That's more of a by myself podcast. Yeah. What I will say, I think, is important is that what we're talking about here is we need more story in his life. We need yeah. to be telling more stories, and stories need to be told. You need to have a story that's important to you, and then you share that story and yeah. you own that story. Yeah. So I mean, I. I have to say I do have a bit of an affinity for Ansel and Gretel because when I was really getting into story, it was the one that I used as a, lot, a basis of a lot of my kind of work. We, we talked about it a lot because it tied in with nature. It tied in with um, a couple of things which, which, which became important to me, like the fact that, you know, people talk about this. Ansel got to walk through a forest. And it, and it sounds almost, it is fairy tale like You just think, there they are walking through a forest. Then you think, have you ever walked through a forest at night? The fucking scary place is that. I have. And and the other thing about this idea of you know people say you know they're in the, the, the deep dark forest unless you've been in a deep dark forest you've no idea of the danger lurking everywhere. <laughs> it's pretty scary. It's, isn't it? No, it's not just as scared as in it feels scary. There's actually a good reason to be scared. Yeah. So this sometimes what what, what I love is you find the story and what story do you own? What films do you like? And then within those films, and within those stories, what what character steps out at you? Because there'll be one you don't particularly like, and there'll be one you're particularly warm to. Mm-hmm. And you've got to look at what bit about the person you don't like is you. So which part of you are the wicked stem or which part of you are Clubber Lang? You know, which part of you is Joe Pesci? You know, and then the other side, which of you is the, the Rocky Balboa? Yeah. You know, the Ansel and Gretel character. Mm-hmm. Which one of you is, I suppose you'll get Casino and you want something that's nice in there. I suppose you, you talk about being the what the character, wouldn't you? I suppose it'd be Robert De Niro's Robert character. Nero. If there was yeah. a nice character and all of that. But, yeah. uh, um all the, these 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 are a chance for us, an invitation to explore something going on in ourselves. Yeah, that's why they mean something to us because they have to touch something that's relevant to us. Right, which is why I, I used to um, I used to watch certain films, just didn't get them. You know, I didn't get all that. Well, you know, they, they, Sue was a bit of an habit of putting on like French art films, and I'm no. not saying I have to be very. I can't say I'm completely like look, no. French films are shit. You know, they just are. Mate. La Hen, La Hen's good. Well, at the end of the day, there's um, there's a, there's, every every story should have a start, beginning, and end. Um, I think some some filmmaker from France says, yeah, but not necessarily in that order. Yeah, and that's why they're all shit, mate. <laughs> uh, because you know they do want that. We always want the resolution. So if you think about it, you've got conflict. You, you've got the setup conflict resolution. So mm. this is what this is the story. This is the the, the 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 you know the conflict. What's the problem here? And how do we resolve it? And that's that's a three step process of telling a story, which is what a lot of YouTubers try to do. Yeah. But sometimes instead of having lots more stories, I would encourage people to go deeper into the story they're in. 
So like a film, you know, we tend to watch them once, but if you, a really great films deserve a third or fourth watching. Oh, Pulp Fiction, I've, I can't not watch it. If it's if it's on, no matter what time. What's, what's your favourite bit of that film? All of it, I love it all. Like, absolutely love it all. Like, it's there's not a bit I don't like. But, yeah, I do like, I do like the start. I like the bit that they do... Um, uh, I like the, the scene in the house when they go up with it at the briefcase. Yeah, I was going to say that as well. You know. like, yeah, yeah. Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. Yeah, yeah. No, it's and then the the the, the next bit as well where he misses. Like, he misses yeah. it. Yeah. And then he sees it as a sign from God to stop becoming a hitman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that I remember that bit and there's little bits in there, you know, um, just when he's laid on that couch, chill. Yeah, yeah. So that. yeah. The people listening to this who don't know Pulp Fiction, if you haven't listened to it, watch Pulp Fiction, you should. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a great bit. And the, the thing with all them films is when you watch more again, you see something new in it. You mm. see some new characters. Oh, yeah. And also, sometimes if you look at some films, Tarantino was very good at putting in imagery and little props that were a shout out to something else. Oh, yeah. He yeah. did that a, He did that a lot in his last one in, in um, Once Upon a Time, time in Hollywood. Hollywood. Because there was a reference in there. I mean, I didn't realise that was a true story. With um, Manson? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't realise that that was a story. I, mean, I didn't know what was happening and then I worked it out and then I looked into it. But like, you'd need Whoa. to know the story and I didn't. Yeah, and I no. kind of said I didn't and I thought no. I didn't know it. I thought I, thought I did. Yeah. What was interesting about the last one is there was a lot of kind of reference to other films. It almost felt what people were saying, and again, it was their take on the story, was that maybe he's not going to do many more. It's almost like, is that, is, is that it? Well, I think that is it, isn't it? Is that it now? Is, yeah. is that his body of work I now? think that was his, like, yeah, I, I'm off to do one now. I think he's probably realised that his, his way of telling story and the methods he used and some of the words and are not really acceptable anymore. No, no, no. So does it make his work further down the line any less good? I don't think it does. No. And I, I hope we don't get to a stage where we start banning... Um, you know, films that he's done because of words we've used or images we've used. That would I just can be, imagine it happening to me. Listen, well, that, they, and again, you know, that's that's a story we're telling ourselves as a society. We need to read, listen, we need to write some stories differently. You know, we have we have had a bad attitude towards many things and, and other people, that's true. But if we if they start getting rid of Tarantino films because they perceive they can't use certain words or imagery, yeah, hey, listen, I've still got them on DVD, no one taking rid of them. I, I've got mine on DVD as well. Right, no one's having my Pulp Fiction. Yeah. We've got a cameraman with us, clearly. You're a, you're a photographer. Um, oh, yeah. One thing we've often talked about is people taking shit photographs, John. <laughs> and we talk about this a lot, especially with the rise of um, the cameras. Although you can't get on your phone, most cameras now do have an excellent camera on them. Um, telling stories. So just give somebody a tip. If you're listening to this now, we're going to finish off with a tip. A tip from John. Tip. So you're now at a party, an event, a child's, whatever it is, some event you're at and you think, I want to take a picture. What? How many photographs do you think you need to take? A, to take how many photographs you need to take to tell a story? And what should people be looking for? So rather than about person development end of, you know, this is... I'll finish off with my bit before John finishes off with this. As far as I'm concerned, understand story more, look at the stories that mean something to you and look for the characters in them stories and then just explore who you might be, what your, what's your personality is that character. That's my bit. That's the personal development stuff. Right. But John, I want you to give people now a tip on how to take great photographs. How to take great photographs. So you, you, you're taking a photograph of something. You want to tell a story. You want to take a photograph. Give us two or three tips on taking really good photographs with the camera you've got in your pocket. Right. So there's, there's three things that make a great photograph. It's light moment, composition. If you've got all three, you've nailed it. Slow that down. You see that rather fast. So it's light. Light, 
moment and composition. Okay. Yeah. So basically, if you're an amateur, you don't need to worry about light um, because you use what you want. But if you're looking for that great photo, it's waiting for that moment. People make, you know, people, it's all about people. Everything's about people. So just photograph people, but just wait for it. Like if you're at a party, there's something going to happen. So sometimes it's just watching. And sometimes you find this character. I do it all the time at weddings. Like I see a bloke with a beard. I think, right, you're going to get it. So I'll just sit there for a while and I'll just wait for this geezer to just make some kind of movement or his face to like kind of make an expression. But it's like, it's seeing what's around that. And, and it's always like, you have to look around the whole frame as well. Look to your corners, see what's happening. And once, once you've kind of got a really good kind of composition, um, it's just wait, wait for that moment to happen because it will happen usually. So, yeah, just find your character, find your hero and just concentrate on that geezer. Yeah. Okay. And that's great advice. Light, life, is it? Light moment, moment and composition. composition. The other thing as well that you always told me and I've always listened to voice, get away from the stage photographs. Oh yeah, yeah. Get away because that's that ties in with the moment. Don't oh, just say capture oh, moments. So capture moments rather than things. So yes, there may be is a need occasionally to have all the people at that party together in one in one area. Yeah, but try to capture the moment rather than than, than a stage photograph. They're always better, more natural. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, and you can uh, do that with any camera in your pocket. You can, yeah. Do it with your phone. I can't do it with my phone because I can't find my camera. So I've got my little <laughs> camera. So. <laughs> You have all this ability to use a camera and you've all this technology and you use computers now and you can't find the camera on your I could phone. never find the camera on my phone. I don't know how to do it. I have to put passcode in and it's like, oh, it's gone. <laughs> I might help you with that. <laughs> Listen, John, it's good to speak to you again. Um, I did. I think I'm really interested with what we've talked about today. I think it's really important and I do like having these conversations. So I think going forward, if you're up for this, I think we should maybe... Once every couple of months, we should pick on a particular film and start talking about it. Yeah, that. I love films. So yeah. it'll give us a chance. Because I as think long as it's not French. There's no French films. There's no French <laughs> films. French art films. And if it requires subtitles, you know, we're not watching it. It'll be something. We could explore Tarantino. Oh, yeah, bring it on. No, I think, you know... Um, Maybe. I mean, you think that anyway, maybe. Let's think about that. We could maybe. because it could be an archive because when it all gets banned... Yeah, we'll have, we'll have done it when it all gets banned. And the only place we'll hear about Tarantino films is on the Garth Book podcast <laughs> That's it. with John. Yeah. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. It's been emotional. It has been emotional. And thank you for listening. I um, hope you've enjoyed that. If you have any questions, let me know. And I will uh, be back on again with a solo podcast later this week. Mm. Something interesting. It's going to be deep. It will be a bit deeper, this one. So we've enjoyed a bit of kind of fun and frivolity with John this morning, but the serious side to it. And hope you take his tips and make some great photographs. Thank you for listening again. Until the next podcast, take care.